Movie Reviews from an Alternate Earth with your hosts, Greg Dyro and Tom Burka. That we might prepare some trivia questions for right, each other. Right. And then I realized as I was working on them this morning that I had no idea what I was doing, but uh, in terms of the scope of these questions, uh, okay. are, they, are they trivia about things that we know that we each know? Or uh, are they trivia about anything? And so in, in, in connection with The Mandalorian, what grandson of a famous Western star doubles for Pedro Pascal as The Mandalorian in The Mandalorian? Mm-hmm. I, I believe most of the time he's the guy who is actually wearing the suit and Pedro Pascal just does the voiceovers. Wow. I have – I don't know. I'm going to say – like John Wayne's grandson, but uh, maybe it's like Fess Parker's grandson. No, you are absolutely correct. It's John Wayne's grandson, Brandon Wayne. Wow. He was called up. Uh, I don't know whether he'd auditioned for any of the parts in the show or whatever, but they called him up and they asked him some questions about, uh, you know, how he would move, uh, you know, in – uh, an outfit like this, and then they finally brought him in, and you know, he his the way that he walks and moves on that show, he thought a lot about mm-hmm. the best way to do it. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, he adds a great deal to the show. You don't even know that he's there. He's he's apparently a fairly big guy, right? Uh, well, I know, and, I I know that not to yeah. interrupt you, but I'm interrupting you. Yeah, I know no. that. Um, um, Katie Sackhoff, who plays Bo-Katan in the animated, when she went, they wanted her to play it in The Mandalorian. And I don't know if you've gotten to that episode yet. Yes, I have. I didn't know, though, that she uh, voiced the same character she, in an animated version. She voiced the same character in the animated Clone Wars um, series. And she talks about having to figure out, well, I'm not in the, I'm not in the booth anymore – and, I, and I'm voicing this character in the sound booth, but now i got to figure out how, to, how she's going to look, how she's going to move, how she, and then I've got to have the same vocal sounds. How do I do that? And it's like she really had a struggle to figure out how to do it. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, I recognized her immediately from Starbuck in yeah, uh, yeah. the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. But uh, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a more appealing role to me that she's playing now because Starbuck was, was such a kind of uh, flawed mm-hmm. character. Um, uh, not meaning that the character was, was broken, but that the, right. the character had some internal conflicts that I found unappetizing. Uh, oh, speaking of trivia, you you do know what the and I think we talked about this before, and you may have forgotten, but what Starbuck, where it comes from? You I, you you just told me this, and I can't even remember. Well, Starbuck is the first mate of the Pequod in Moby Dick. You know. The whole idea that the name Starbuck comes from Moby Dick is hard for me to swallow. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if the lead character in Battlestar Galactica was named Ishmael, 
I, I would buy that. But but they they chose Starbucks because you know Star and it relates to Moby Dick and it relates to a quest that that seems to be pointless because we're never going to achieve it. Um, searching for you know the twelfth, the thirteenth, you know, colony or whatever the hell. So then Starbucks, knowing that they were never going to make truly great coffee. Uh huh. Well, you know, you know, you in in Moby Dick, the first mate Starbuck loves coffee. <laughs> He's a coffee swilling. He drinks coffee in, in the novel, and that's why Starbucks is named Starbuck, and that's why the logo is like the maiden on the front of a ship. Well, there you go. So that's that's my trivia that I've already probably done on this show. But there was a lot of there was a lot of meaning packed into that, though. Yes, there's and and that's the best trivia that you know it it. Um, I, I have another trivia one for you. It, totally um, okay. off. Uh, it's it's trivia along those lines. But you know the car company Subaru, and do you know what Subaru? means is there and if you look at their logo it Subaru, logo. Uh, you know it's not what you think it is i mean i think you're probably you know falling for some kind of uh you know folklore um because subaru is actually the chairman of the company um you know who founded the company had a child who loved star trek but couldn't say sulu properly ah. No, Subaru is uh, the logo for Subarus is a set of stars, and those stars are the seven sisters, which are called the Pleiades in English, and in Japanese, Subaru is the Pleiades, and that's what it's named after. Wow! So, you know, if, if you know what the seven sisters are, the Pleiades, it's a you know a small group of stars. In the sky, um, lo- located near near the zodiac and near, um, mm, and I have to. I forget what other major constellation it's located next to, but um, but that's I'm gonna what Subaru just, is. I'm just going to say Orion. Um, yeah, it's kind of sort of near Orion, but but not quite. All right. Well, then uh, let's see. Um, all right. What is the name? What is the name? Of the vehicle that the white-winged weekend warrior drives. What is the name of the white, the vehicle the white-winged weekend warrior drives? And I can give you a, 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 a hint. Okay. Well. That's your hint. Oh, I don't know. Are we, ta- are we talking about Chicken Man? We, yes, we are. We're talking about Chicken Man, and we're talking the about Re- Weekend Warrior. Warrior. Yes, and um, what does he? I forget what he drives. It's a coupe. This is coupe. It's a coupe. There you go. That's right. <laughs> it's the chicken coupe. coupe. Very good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> you know, I have an unfair advantage over you because I uh, actually bought. The recordings. Oh, did you? The entire run. Yeah. You, oh, you, there's a website that, that uh, somebody maintains. Uh, I assume I assume the guys who actually created it 
and and you can actually buy the digital recordings of the entire run. Wow! And, you know, I mean, and and for those for those listeners who may not know, <laughs> um, Greg used to work at a TV station when mm-hmm. he was younger, and he was able to get the entire recordings of this show, Chicken Man, which was a radio serial out of Chicago, I mm-hmm. think it was. Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, Chicago. Yeah, and I mean, these were like th- three-minute-long episodes. Yep. Um, comedic, Chicken Man is uh, a crime fighter who wears a chicken outfit. He is uh, he actually... Um, and the thing is, is you got all of those recordings on four track. Am I correct? <laughs> yes, and I still have it. it, it actually, oh my I god! Should, Do I should you have send a, a four track player? No, I don't have a four track player anymore. I should send you the picture. I have there. It's up on my shelf, and I'll take a picture of eight track. it. Eight track. Well, no, not eight track, but it's on it's on big Ampex reels. You know, reel to reel tape, giant. Oh yeah, you know the giant ones, and. You gave you gave me some of them on a track. You recorded them on yeah, the track for me. Cause, yeah, because what it was was like you know, tape was expensive and I was cheap and and these were mono. So 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 I put one track on the on the left channel and the other track on the right channel, <laughs> so I could record everything. Wow. And I still have them. I have no way to play it, but I still have them. Um, and they're, well, they're in my office as we speak. I, I was just looking at them. Now. Another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. You know, with the little plastic, um, what do you call the labels, the Dymo labels? With the Dymo label, it's just Chicken Man. I'll I'll send you a picture uh, so you can see. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, I mean... uh, when we met, when we were in high school, uh, we used to listen to these recordings uh, over and over and over again. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I don't even think over and over again because there are so many episodes that, uh, you know, little, literally at least more than 100 episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's a question for you. Why? Why is Chicken Man the white-winged weekend warrior? <laughs> Why is the weekend? I forget why he's the weekend warrior. Well, I, I uh, you know, I, I can I can send you an excerpt to slap in here. But Benton Harper, employed as a shoe salesman for a large downtown department store, spends his weekends, his only two days off, striking terror into the hearts of criminals everywhere as the white-winged warrior called the Chicken Man. Is, he's a shoe salesman oh, during the right. week. But the only two days of the week that he's free are the weekend, and that's when he fights crime. <laughs> and where right. was it? And where do you remember where it took place? Uh, if I remember correctly, it was Benton Harbor, maybe. Was it Ben? I thought Benton Harbor was the name of like the commissioner or something. No, I'm not. No, uh, Benton uh, Harbor. I think the police commissioner was. Let me look that up. Well, let's look that up. Yeah. Yes, may I help you? How do you do? I'm looking for a costume. Well, what did you have in mind? Something that will strike terror into the hearts of criminals everywhere. I see. Well, how about this? Hmm. No, I don't think so. Why not try it on? Oh, yeah. Well. I, I know that his secretary was named Miss Hellfinger, <laughs> and which I, I have no idea where they came up with that name because it seems ridiculous in itself. Uh, I'm gonna have uh, to. In preparing for this, I just listened to an episode where he 
had to uh, fight one of his nemeses, the dog lady. Okay. And uh, he, he finally confronts her. And he's like, are you the dog lady? And she says, I am the dog lady. Oof, oof. And he says, are you allowed to be up on that couch? <laughs> so, so, I, so I found it. In the series, yes. in the series, Benton Harbor shoe salesman at a large downtown Midland City department uh-huh. store spends his weekends striking terrific terror into the hearts of criminals everywhere as that fantastic foul chicken man. Or at least that's what he tells everyone. In reality, he mostly hangs around the police commissioner's office and imitates the commissioner's secretary, Miss Hellfinger. No. Each episode begins with an overly dramatic theme. A four-note trumpet sound echoed with Benton Harbor's buck, 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 chicken call, which is followed by a rousing cry of, Chicken man! And voices right. shouting, he's everywhere, he's everywhere. The tagline became a memorable that's, catchphrase, that's especially because it's repeated again at the end of each episode, two and a half minutes later. <laughs> Be listening tomorrow for another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And I, I, I thought that it actually was a wonderfully very inventive and, and pretty funny show. And uh, some years after that, I was listening to the radio and there was a commercial. Uh-huh. And I recognized the voices and I had to look it up. And uh, I can't recall how I found it because it was pre, pre-internet. But I discovered that the guys who did Chicken Man formed an ad company, and uh-huh. they started doing radio ads uh-huh. and uh, using the same kind of approach. The or the storytelling type humor. of a, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. pretty good. I, I'm, um, that's so yeah, funny. Yeah, the, 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 he drove the chicken coupe, mm-hmm. and his... Uh, They'd constantly correct a chicken coupe. It's a coupe. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And he had other uh, chickeny named things in a parody of uh, you know Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, by the way, here's here's an, it's not really a trivia question. Okay, it's, uh, what is the worst Batman movie? Is that the one with the shark? I forget what the name of that one. Is, was. Uh, no, that's actually uh, that's the 1966. TV oh, oh, show movie. movie. You mean you which mean I don't, which I think is it, the 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 worst re, the worst remake Batman. Okay, well the worst one that's appeared in theaters okay. with the name Batman well, in the title. Well, some oh, might say on. it's some might say it's the the uh, uh, George Clooney one with uh, Arnold and uh, and various other super celebrities playing the. No, I I think everybody has to say that Batman Forever. Yes. Directed by Joel Schumacher uh, with uh, Uma Thurman as Poison mm-hmm. Ivy. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. Yes, well, you, you got Joel Schumacher, and he's going to be over the top because he's he's just over the top. So they knew what they were doing. It was going to be over the top. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that Joel Schumacher has one or two good movies. I, I'm, I'm sure of it, but this was not one of them. Well, they're, they uh, tend to be over the top. Didn't Joel Schumacher do um, 
um, the what's the um, I have to look up uh, Joel Schumacher. Yeah, look up Joel Schumacher. Um, Joel, what did he make? Whatever happened to Joel Schumacher? He, he, he didn't make sell. He made Saint, he made Saint Elmo's and and Lost Boys. He made Lost Boys, and of course the riotous comedy Car Wash. Hmm. Right, and then things started to go south for him as he directed Batman and Robin, Batman Forever, Flatliners, which was not a terrifically good movie, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, you know, and uh, uh, I'm just looking to see what the last good movie. Um, I never saw Tigerland, so I can't really. No, speak I don't. That. I don't know. Eight millimeter. I don't know what that is. You know, uh, Lost Boys is 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 good. Lost Boys is kind of classic, yeah. I would say uh, probably appears incredibly dated now, but yeah. uh, well, I think the Batman Forever and Batman and Robin is just that they, you know, executive wise, they decided to, you know, oh, they didn't quite understand. I think um, the original Batman and and. Um, you know the vision that that was there with with um, um, it wasn't quite Ed Wood, but it's 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 a, a a vision of of doing not the over the top, but a, the caricature of stuff, which is what Tim Burton kind of did. He takes the caricature of it, but he didn't make a he didn't make a comical movie. Uh, no, I, I mean I have to tell you that. Uh, I'm not an enormous fan of Tim Burton, and the reason for that is is that I think, generally speaking, is he has a much better grasp on visuals and art direction than he does on storytelling. Uh, and the original Batman mm-hmm. from 1989 was enormously flawed, and part of the reason that it was enormously flawed was, to my mind, two things. The action sequences are horrifically badly directed. Um, the, that's not Tim Burton's forte. Right. Um, and second of all, uh, Kim Bassinger's role. Mm-hmm. Well, Kim Bassinger was, I, I can't recall whether she was sleeping with John Peters or Peter Goober, which one of the producers she was. But right. her role was, the, the whole script was rewritten to make her role much, much larger after uh, they started sleeping together, uh, and uh, uh, and you know, as a result, you have a scene where Batman reveals to her that he's Bruce Wayne, or Bruce Wayne right. reveals and, that he's Batman, which you should. And that just happened. Dis- that made me so angry when I was watching it for the first time in the movie. I was like, no, that would never happen. <laughs> Batman would never like. You know, mm-hmm. for a piece of tail, just say, hey, by the way, I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you want to see my Batarang? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, let's hang out in the cave. We could have drinks. Mm-hmm. I can take my uh, utility belt off. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was it was very cartoony, uh-huh. and that's understandable, uh, you know. I mean, it, it took Christopher Nolan years later. Oh, to make um, a real Batman Dark Knight. To make real, a real make a Batman Dark Knight, yeah. movie. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and until then, 
people didn't really know how to make, um, mm -hmm. you know, superhero comic book movies uh, in a way that elevated them or, right. you know. Uh, right. Right. Because and, no, they didn't take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's what happens is they, they diverge a little bit. And speaking of that, did you see did you see what they announced the other day for the the US Space Force? What what you're gonna what they're gonna call the them? You know, it's just a farce. Okay. Yes, I did see it. We got soldiers, we got sailors, mm -hmm. we got airmen, and now we have and Marines, right? Marines. And 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 the last Guardians, Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, it, right. it's it, and if you know your history a little bit, it, it is true that that early, early like uh, Air Force kind of stuff were called Guardians something or other. Um, so there is some elements there, is that right? I didn't know. That. Yes, there there's there's like not the SAC or one of those. One of those kind of groups, they were guardians, something or other, and it comes from that. And then, so now it's like, oh, did did art imitate the reality? And now we have reality imitating art, which imitated reality. And I and I think there's a little bit of that going on, because um, if you really think about, well, the logo is it looks like you know Star Trek, but the Star Trek logo actually looks like some early. Uh, NASA logos. <laughs> so, well, that that all that is true. Uh, I cannot credit to the current administration the kind of thought that you're <laughs> that that putting into it. No, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I feel like there's a certain clownish uh, nature um, to the Guardian. The first instinct. I mean, the very this creation of Space Force. Come on. Space um, Force. Yeah, yeah. The guardians of the Space Force. You know, I see a bunch of people sitting around an aircraft hangar <laughs> reading comic books and, you know, playing Parcheesi, um, going, you know, one of these days we're going to have to go into space. You know? <laughs> uh, but I, I don't really see much of a role for them right now. Right. What are we going to call the people who are, you know, honestly, it would have been more sensible to create a military branch of cyber warriors and give them some kind of a name because that's really that's the frontier that we're fighting on now yes that that's true and and it's the cybermen and uh what we call the or the solar maybe they're the daleks we could be the dalek uh, group or something the dalek group <laughs> it sounds like the name of a company yeah, it's the Daily Group. Yeah, that was wasn't that that company on Lost uh, that had the whole you know the, the oh Daily Group. Lost. I love Lost. I, uh, even even with the where it went rambling off for a couple of seasons, I still still like Lost. Well, I, I never fall, fell down that rabbit hole. I really wasn't entranced by the pilot, and I, I didn't really watch more than that. I. Um, and I don't know whether to be thankful for that or um, or whether I missed out uh, because now, you know, I, I read what happened, um, how it all played out in the last season mm -hmm. and the people's uh, various complaints about it. And I thought, you know, I don't want to go through all of this to end up here. 
But, you know, I do have actually the same complaint about Battlestar Galactica. Oh, true. true. You mean the remake and stuff? Where with The remake, with, where it ended up, I was like, yeah. oh, screw you. God damn it. This whole thing was, this, this was it? Yeah, that's it. Unfortunately, I think there are situations that happen where I have this great idea. This is this fabulous thing. And maybe I can run this for two, three seasons. But it goes even longer than that. So you're like, uh, do we have to end this? Where You know, it's really tough. Although I did have a whole argument, I know, you know, to get off on current kind of stuff, where uh, Warner Brothers slash the AT&T overlords who have taken over Warner Brothers, you know, announced that they're going to do this day and date release of, you know, their major films on HBO Max. Yeah. Because, well, number yeah. one, number one, they screwed up the HBO. I'm getting, I'm, I'll get round back, back to where we were in a minute. They they screwed up the HBO Max release um you know big time with no access on on Roku and no access on Amazon Fire that accounted for 60 or 70% of the people the way people view streaming and it's like well and and I have a friend who has uh, uh I think Comcast uh-huh. or uh one of the one of the very big cable companies and they don't have HBO Max yet Right, and, and and so so they then they, they bungled this rollout. Okay, we're gonna have this fabulous thing, and, and they're like, um, so they screwed that up, and now everybody's saying, well, they're they're trying to make up for that by doing this day and date. And I'm like, well, yeah, but COVID came and basically crushed the movie theaters, and the movie theaters are hanging on by a thread, and and the movie theater showing business was was on the downturn no matter what anyway before COVID. So right. something and had to happen. theaters were trying to think of new ways to entice people to go out to the movie theaters to watch films there right. because otherwise people could watch on big screens at home in the comfort of their own home. And so now you have, you know, these beautiful uh, couches, mm-hmm. uh, food, all kinds of things that I do find – I love Alamo Draft House. I love watching movies there, right. uh, as, as an example. But uh, uh, but still, you know, I mean, they couldn't compete with the movie industry of 20 years ago when if you wanted to see a movie, you had to go to a movie theater. Yeah, yeah there was no other option. You couldn't even you couldn't even go like find the the, the VHS or you know because there was no VHS at that time, you know. Yeah, right. Well, my point, I, I guess, guess, I guess, I guess my 30 point, years ago. Yeah. yeah, I guess my point is that, that, yeah, it's it, everybody's screaming about it, but I'm like, mm, you know, a movie theater is really just an imitation of a stage theater. For crying out loud, it still has the stage, it still has the curtain, it still has, it's like, it's just an imitation of that. And, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. Streaming, I think, most definitely is the future. So I'm like, yeah, they need to make that move. They meet, they need to, to go and – Well, and just, just in case anybody is confused by this conversation, I can't imagine. But, you know, basically uh, the chairman of HBO announced that uh, for the next year that all of their major movie releases are going to be simultaneously released to the theaters and on to HBO Max right. so that – you know, you don't have any reason necessarily to go to the theater if you don't want to have that larger screen experience. You can just watch them at home. And 
So a lot of the filmmakers, uh, including Christopher Nolan, et cetera, have gone apeshit about this. And one of the reasons they've gone apeshit, I think, is not just that, uh, you know, it hurts the theater business, but that the revenue structure and streams for releases onto streaming are just not nearly as lucrative enough. And what that means is that, you know, uh, people are getting paid a lot less, including all the way up the chain to people like Christopher Nolan. And not only that, but budgets are going to have to be much smaller. And so the kind of movies that Christopher Nolan is making um, might not be able to be made anymore. Am I, am I correct about all this? Well, I think that's, Partly it. I don't I don't necessarily see that they won't be able to be made anymore because of the the technological change that have happened. And I'm like, yeah, they're screaming about we're not gonna make money, we're not gonna make money. Well, everybody on that set, they don't make any money when it goes to the theater. They don't make any money that when it goes to streaming. Christopher Nolan does, the producer does. Maybe the the four or five major actors that are in the film do. But the guy in the grip department, the guy, the, the DP, the uh, the craft services people, the people like mm-hmm. me that do the you know the stills and stuff, right? We don't make any more money. We make the money we make off that film, working on that film on, on there, an hourly there's, budget. There's there's a parallel to this in the screenwriting industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the, uh, the there became a, a strike in the past year of a kind which is the Screenwriters Guild decided to break with the agencies over packaging. Right. Right? Because the agencies were making much, much more money packaging talent together and getting additional money for themselves because of a package. Mm-hmm. If I, I'm, I'm not completely getting this right. But, uh, but the fact is, is that 99% of the people in the Screenwriters Guild we're not really being hurt by packaging because they were not amongst the 1% of screenwriters who were, you know, writing movies that were packaged in this way. Right. Um, you know, we're talking about maybe the bare 5% of all screenwriters in the guild who are affected by this, but they're the people who kind of are running the guild right now. And I have a friend who's a, a very well-established screenwriter who's mm-hmm. like, you know, breaking with the agencies on this is uh, it, it only benefits a few of us. And uh, this just doesn't make sense. But, you know, everybody had to leave their agents as a result of this, whether or not they were uh, um, low on the totem pole or at the very top. Right. And uh, um, and so it, it, it is the same thing. Uh, uh, the above the line talent. Mm hmm. You know, they stand to lose money yeah. on the failure to go to theaters. But uh, Below at the, the same line. time, I mean, Netflix seems to do fine attracting some pretty good talent to uh, the original movies that it makes mm-hmm. and uh, the original television series that it's producing. Uh, they're, um, they're making so money, and, you know, and they're, and they're yeah, spending money on making it. money. Yeah, they're spending money on the productions. I mean, there's... Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the quality is there, but but the the quality is well. I shouldn't say that. If I go to AMA or go to one of these, um, um, uh, I guess not so much like a con, but they're there to sell the films. You know, it's a it's a 
a competition and people are viewing them, but they're really about selling selling the movie for wider distribution. There's a tremendous there's a tremendous amount of B and C grade films that are made constantly that make money, <laughs> you know, that are there. And we used to see it when you go to Blockbuster and you'd wander around and there were all these videotapes of these. Well, what is this? I've never heard of this before. This is, uh, you know. Well, just go on Amazon Prime and look at a lot of the yeah. movies that are available there and you get the same thing. And I people mean, are still watching them, though. That's what's crazy to me. They're, they're watching it. They're, they're, the, the quality is not always a factor. And people are like, you know, I love this. Well, it explains why Scooby-Doo did so well for so long. It's just, I, what, I, what, I, what I think is interesting is that, you know, we're about to see the release of Wonder Woman 1984. Right. I think it is, Right. And, you know, watching the trailers for it and that kind of thing, I think this is a movie that could have done quite well in theaters mm-hmm. just because of the hype. Yep. But through the promotion of it solely on television in this way with the promise of it coming out streaming, I'm thinking, oh, this looks like a pretty, pretty mediocre film. And the hype is just not overcoming my ability to detect that as mm-hmm. – I mean, because, you know, in the past, there are a lot of movies that I just got caught up in all of the marketing and went out and saw, you know, on opening night and that kind of thing. Right. Um, And, you know, felt like I really enjoyed them. Uh, But then in retrospect, they weren't necessarily movies that I ever wanted or needed to see again because Mm -hmm. they just weren't that caliber. Um, And so I think it's harder to get away with that now. Um. Uh, in fact, I rewatched uh, at least the first half of the original Wonder Woman, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I was actually a little surprised to discover that I thought that it was a little ham-handed. Um, because I remember when I first watched it, I really thought it was absolutely terrific. And one of the few occasions when DC actually did a good job uh-huh. oh. with uh, a movie of one based of their on their, yeah, their characters. But... Uh, um, well, that's all been attributed to Patty, the um, the the director. I forget her last name. Um, and did you hear that she's going to do a Star Wars film? No, Patty I Jen- didn't know Jenkins. That. I think uh, she's going to do a Star Wars film. She's going to do uh, a film I, called I, I, Rogue's, yeah. Rogue Squadron. I think is what she's going to do. Uh, as opposed to, wasn't there already a Rogue movie? Rogue One. Rogue One, a Star Wars movie, yeah, right? Is, that yep. was that that was Rogue Squadron, was it not? Yeah, and and apparently she's going to do like like something along those lines with with the X wing fighter group and stuff and their adventures. Could be could be great. I mean, uh, and actually, I don't necessarily have any problem with the direction of the Wonder Woman movie. It was mm-hmm. just the the script, which I thought relied rather heavily on. Uh, you know, the fact that she was not uh, – that Wonder Woman herself had never been to normal civilization mm-hmm. and was a fish out of water and uh, – Well, isn't that the story of Wonder Woman essentially, her origin story that she – It is. I, I just felt like they overdid it with the relying on the kind of comic nod. Uh-huh. Um, and she's screaming about Aries, you know, all over the place. Uh, um, but – you know, maybe I'm being too harsh, but well, it's, it is maybe a, it, I'm just uh, it is from a, it is from a comic book, so there's going to be a bit of you know, it's not 
serious like I, it is, I, I, but you know. Well, I think the comic book movies that we have seen in the past couple of years, that they have reached an understanding of a better way to tell these stories, which is with a lot of humor. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not objecting to the humor in Wonder Woman, uh, the movie. Right. But I'm, I'm just, I just felt like the jokes were a little over, o- overdone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 no, not overdone. Um, well, not terrific and, and, and kept the same idea kept being repeated. Cause look, the original movie Thor uh, was a movie that I actually walked out of because I thought it was so dreadfully boring and bad. <laughs> um, and then you look at Thor Ragnarok, uh-huh. which I was reluctant to go see because I'm like, oh no, these are the same guys who did Thor, these Thor movies. Oh, I don't know. And I thought that was a terrific movie. And I mean, look, that movie was way over the top with the humor. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Thor, like Thor and Hulk, I know him from the workplace, you know. Uh, well, it's like Guardian, and, Guardians uh, of the Galaxy essentially kind of set that tone, I think. And I don't know where it came in the sequence because Guardians suddenly, you know, they realized they could really do the comedy and maintain the, you know, uh, the essence of the story. You know, when you had uh, Rocket and 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 Groot and stuff and, you know, there definitely was like, you know, I think that's there like the room tone. for real heart. And also a lot of a lot of comedy, um, you know. And I would credit Josh Whedon with kind of uh, starting off some of that trend because when he did the Avengers, mm-hmm. you know, he did he did find moments to inject uh, hilarity mm-hmm. into it because the guy has a great sense of humor. But uh, um, but by and large, it wasn't a, a tremendously comedic movie, uh, right? And I, I think doesn't necessarily have to be, but you have to have moments of, uh, I guess you'd call those the light moments, you know, without being too. Well, also, if you're not making fun of the idea of, you know, a bunch of uh, super powered beings with some of these occasionally insanely ridiculous powers, <laughs> um, then, you know, you, you've got to comment on it some way. Um, and, of course, you know, Guardians comments a lot on the fact that, uh, you know, you have a walking tree who only says, I am Groot. You've got um, a, a so-called raccoon. Sorry, Rocket. Rocket would be upset that I called him <laughs> a raccoon. raccoon. But so there was a lot of commentary about that. Because mm-hmm. um, you you got to have it acknowledged, the, the ridiculousness of it. Yes. But then you go ahead and treat it seriously in, in, the, in the action of it. You know, which mm-hmm. is both Rocket and uh, Groot are actually very capable um, warriors, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so they're totally important to the action sequences and the success of the Guardians in protecting the galaxy. Um, and now they'll be protecting Earth, the Guardians. Well, I have to say, when 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 is Guardians 3 coming out? Ah, I don't know. Said the James Gunn issue with the, you know. Well, I mean, when they fired James Gunn, like, that was the most ridiculous thing ever. Mm -hmm. That was just nonsense. And, uh, but I guess what they decided was that they could fire him and let things calm down a little bit and then rehire him. 
Well, that's and what I'm, I'm waiting for Al Franken. That, that could happen with Al Franken eventually. Be the Al Franken decade, which was the 1980s. Albert Brooks and yeah. Al Franken. Um, what was I saying? Oh, oh so as the the one I'm looking forward to, and maybe we should devote an entire we could devote an entire episode to this when when Dune releases. Well, we could you know we uh, could talk about uh, Dune after Dune releases, and then you know because I I think it's releasing in. It's simultaneous, right? In this universe and in the alternate universe, Dune is being released. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. And there was a lot of controversy about that. Mm -hmm. Some people didn't think that it was fair to the real universe that the alternate universe was getting in. That it would be available in both places at the the same time, day and day. Right, right. It could really hurt the real universe to have have availability in the alternate Uh universe. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's it. That will – I don't know what the release date is, but I think that we'll schedule that out. That we we should watch that, and then we should do. Um, it's not too far in the future. I think. No, no, we should do do a. No, we can talk about Sting. We can talk about Sting, and we can talk about his spiked hair, and uh, we can talk about the, the, all those pustules on what's his name, the Harkonnen. I'm like, oh my really? god! Like, did did he need to have all that? I'm like. There are elements well, of that that Dune that I like, but there are elements of it that I think are are not quite there, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I will we'll talk about this in depth when we do our Dune episode, but I have to say, you know, I mean, ultimately, I think that Dune movie was a failure, um, despite the source material. Right. Uh, oh yeah, because it it went it went at, I don't know it not comedy, but. There are bits. It was unintended comedy for Christ's yeah, sake. Yeah, I think so. Been. I think so. But yeah, but there's parts of it that 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 are okay. I I, I thought his uh, Paul Atreides uh, interactions with the the Ben Benajerzerit, you know, mm-hmm. the the, the mother. What, I thought that sequence in the box that was I thought done very very well. Right. You know, I with agree. with in the original and and I thought. His dad had the right look, and even what's his name that plays um, um, Lido now has a very similar look, and because of course it's based on the book. Uh, and I'm perfectly fine mm-hmm. with them switching. Um, what's his name? The the environmentalist on Dune to to a female character because I don't. I don't oh yeah, I don't have a problem. I, I don't think there was any issue there, but um, I don't have a problem with a black James Bond. I mean, bring it on. Yeah, well, it's you know, just it's like Doctor Who. It's like you know, just keep keep in it. Why not? Why couldn't James Bond be a black James Bond? You're right. Well, it, no, these things have to evolve to sensibilities that we are able to uh, embrace. Uh, you know, as, as our tastes mm-hmm. and the scope of our perspective uh, increases and evolves. Uh, you know, I mean, the original James Bond. Uh, if you would object and said he should be black or he should be a woman or whatever, everybody would say that absolutely destroys the idea of James Bond. And I suppose it does destroy the original idea of James mm-hmm. Bond. But we have all those movies and we have the definition of James Bond as, uh, you know, um, a womanizer and uh, the most capable human being on the planet mm-hmm. and uh, most arrogant being on the planet and all of these things that actually came to, um, well, that I, growing up, 
held synonymous with like well-developed masculinity. Uh-huh. We we must know our liquors. We must know how to gamble. <laughs> we must know how to drive fast cars. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. But uh, but then Daniel Craig came along, and uh, uh, something entirely new was mm-hmm. injected into the formula, which was that he was uh, a more complicated character. He was brutal because he was a killer. Um, and, uh, not nearly as, as nuanced in many ways as, as he had previously been depicted. And there was a real, um, a real believable emotional core to the character for the first time. I thought, you know, that was rather complicated. And so now, now we have that, you can go anywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and I'd like to see that done. I'd like to see what happens too. James Bond or Ginny Bond or right. Hermione's Bond. Hermione's Bond. Hermione's Bond. Ew. Everything is brilliant, 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 brilliant. Yes, yes. Well, uh, what was the, uh, is it Al- Alona Holmes? What? What is the uh, Alona recent Holmes. Netflix? Oh, 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 Enola. Enola. Well, actually, Enola. actually it was go. very nice. I, I watched it. It was a. It was actually a film really? that, that, yeah, charming and delightful. Yes, Absolutely. charming and delightful, and and it set itself up for a potential, you know, next uh, next film. And I thought that um, um, it, it was done very well, very nice, and you know, it it's not super high level. You know, it's right in there in the middle, and it's like, oh, this is you know very nice, right? A very pleasing, entertaining. Uh, yeah, a lovely Millie, way to spend a couple hours. Yeah, and Millie Bobby Brown was 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 very good and very nice, and we Terrific. had um, you know the requisite um, uh, Marla, you know, um, what's her name playing uh, um, her her mom, oh, Moriarty. mom. No, she was playing oh, her mom. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, um, Holmes's mom. I forget her name. Helena Bonham Carter. I say Marla oh, yeah. from, from you know from the. Uh, from Fight Club, but she kind of plays the same kind of character a, a lot. Um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because she does it very well. No, no. I mean, better to be typecast than not cast at all, as they say. Yes, as they say, you know. And and, and so, so yeah, so I think there's room. Well, what I was getting at originally was like when I was talking about streaming, and I don't know what your thoughts there is like, you know, this whole um, – you know, it happened obviously with Game of Thrones, but the ability to do a story, you know, in eight hours or ten hours or fifteen hours versus the two hours of a film, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this opens up like major possibilities, you know. Um, and I, I think that's good. Um, you can tell longer stories uh, and do. Oh yeah, I mean that's clearly why we've had some of these uh, amazing television. Uh, series mm-hmm. in the past 20 years is that finally there's been a recognition of the huge scope that you can take to a story and the arc of a character or a series of characters over the course of five seasons. Mm-hmm. You can do stuff that you can't, I mean, two hours in a theater is very little time to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're really telling a short story. Yes. You know, or a, a very, a very truncated novella, maybe you know, in a in a in a film, and so that's 
even like Dune that I understand the he, he's only gonna he's only doing the first half of of the book basically in in this first film. It's not the whole book, you know. Gen- generally a good idea. Whereas, however, if you take The Hobbit and you decide to turn it into three, three films, full length motion pictures, you just uh, for one of a better phrase, totally puffed up the story and everything about it, it as far it, as I'm concerned. It, yes, because it, it was that it was that fun lark with a bunch of elves marching from one end of, of England across to Europe and across. It, it was it lost that whole oh, I remember reading The Hobbit. It was like we're 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 walking and we're singing. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was in many ways a charming uh, to some degree child's story. Yes. Uh, you know, and uh, not a storybook tale. Not, yeah. Uh, a storybook adventure tale is really what it originally was. And uh, it just turned it into this awful epic. Uh, and it didn't need to be. I, I, I think it would have been better off, you know, just keeping it short, sweet, and true to the original material. Or maybe just doing like a 20 a, a minute Tom Bombadil film, you know, or something. <laughs> but uh, it's still yeah, possible where he to just do. jumps around singing Tom Bombadillo. Yep, I had forgotten the fact that that did you do you remember in in and I guess it's in the Fellowship of the Ring when um or after the Fellowship is it? Oh no, is in the Fellowship. I'm um, sorry. Before they get to Rivendell, they you know they they run into Tom Bombadil, and I had mm-hmm. forgotten the fact that that Tom is the only character. That the ring does not affect. He actually puts right. the, he actually puts the ring on, in, in and in it doesn't sequence. do anything. And it doesn't do anything, and it it was like I'd forgotten completely about this. And I kind of knew it that Tom is like Gandalf the White. He's like way up above everybody. He's like well because superpower. because Tom Tom is the spirit of nature, yes. which is the most powerful force on earth, and. Uh, or Middle Earth, right. rather. <clears throat> yeah, I kind of had that. forgotten about that, and I and I realized why he left it out because it just it would have like like really put put a left turn in the middle of of, of everything that didn't and, have anything and, to do with the perhaps story. Perhaps been confusing to people who are watching. Yes, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring who never read the book and you know needed to be introduced to these concepts. The idea that a character could put on the ring. Early on, and not be affected by it, kind of because he was so would would be confusing. Yes, uh, yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd right. forgotten about that, and I was recently like slapped in the face and reminded about that because I read a Tom Bombadil. Were you really? Yeah. Yes, I, not quite a slap in the face, but but I did did read about it. So wow. Um, yes, quite amazing. Um, uh, two things. Let's see. We're at uh, we're at a good. Um, we're at a good length here. We're at a good 89 minutes, so we're uh, we might have to like edit it like down cutting to 80 minutes. Down. I had um, my coffee and, and donut this morning from Dunkin' Donuts, so I'll give a, a, a Dunkin' plug. Uh, there you go. Maybe they'll sponsor the show, which I doubt, and maybe our, our 12 well, listeners. are getting free plugs now, so why Yeah, why wouldn't they? Contribute? Time to make the donuts. Dunkin' Donuts are always fresh. We'll discuss uh, for the future. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Dune and its its simultaneous release in 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 both universes, um, on Earth as well as uh, the alternate Earth, and so we'll get some That's perspective on 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 that film. 
and we'll talk a little bit about um, maybe Tom will wear his Kyle McLaughlin kind of a wig and he'll oh, channel, yeah. you know, Paul Atreides and the weirding module. Um, <laughs> that make me laugh Mahadib. <laughs> his name is, is power. No, his name is a weapon. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you say Mahadib hard enough, it, it can hurt. It's it can, hurt. Yeah, it can hurt them. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about Dune. We'll talk about Greg's... Um, uh, we'll re-talk about Greg's meeting with Frank Herbert many, many years ago. First time that ooh, Greg met ooh. Frank Herbert. Uh, oh! So before there were any films and before any, it was just a paperback novel that, that was, you know, in the bedroom. And uh, and maybe if we're lucky, I'll, I'll take pictures of the, my Chicken Man tapes um, to ooh. post online. So oh, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try and send you. A link to Chicken Man, so we can yeah, you know, so our viewers, yeah, so listeners that you can, can throw in at least the uh, the intro. Yeah, uh, we can throw in. A, we can have a promo for Chicken Man, and maybe do one of their promos, and uh, maybe I can add it into the into the show. Now, another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. <laughs> And uh, so, so thanks, Tom. As always, uh, this has been uh, an exciting discussion of nothing. I mean, of of everything, <laughs> of everything. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, a little could, bit of we trivia. Rebrand this. Two guys just chatting about whatever happens to <laughs> jump into their heads. Oh, yeah, it, that's what we're going to call. It. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that isn't that just like re- regular radio? It is. Uh, what was it? Uh, somebody said uh, is uh, you know. How can you distinguish a podcast from, from a guy in a shower just talking to himself? <laughs> Ow. Yeah. yeah okay. that, was a, uh-huh. that was a brutal, brutal mm-hmm. critique of the entire industry. <laughs> well, anyway, this is our, our, our practice for the big time when uh, – It is. It's our practice for the big time. But anyway, thank you once again, Greg, yes, for another you. lovely episode. And I'll uh, I'll work on having an old fashioned this week, uh, just in your honor, and may send you a a selfie with an old fashioned. So, and maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll make myself a mai tai. Mai tai. Mm-hmm. Sounds perfect. Well, that's a perfect cue for the the music to intro us out, or exit us out, or outro us out. And uh, we'll see everybody in in the next couple of weeks. And um, happy holidays. Happy holidays, everyone. Excellent. So I'm. listening tomorrow for another exciting episode in the life of the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. You've been listening to Movie Reviews from an Alternate Earth with your hosts, Greg Dyro and Tom Burka. Please join us next week when I'm sure we'll be talking about absolutely nothing. But that's what we tend to talk about. So please join us, and it will be 2021 by that point, so we're excited about that. So we'll see you next year.